everyone and welcome to Machiavelli's Princes, a podcast all about Niccolo Machiavelli's book, The Prince. My name is Leah Miller. Last episode we talked about Niccolo Machiavelli's life and read his dedication page, and this week we are going to talk about the first three principalities listed in the book. But first, I want to say something. This book has themes in it that are controversial in today's society. As historians, it's our duty to distance ourselves from our own moral stances and analyze things as they were at the time. In this case, we are all students of Machiavelli. Students don't always have to agree with the teacher, but they are obligated to show that teacher respect. Just something to keep in mind. Now that I've said that, let's dive into the book. Chapter 1 how many kinds of principalities there are and by what means they are acquired. All states, all powers that have held and hold rule over men have been and are either republics or principalities. Principalities are either hereditary, in which the family has been long established, or they are new. The new are either entirely new, as was Milan to Francesco Sforza, or they are, as it were, members annexed to the hereditary state of the prince who has acquired them as was the kingdom of Naples to that of the king of Spain. Such dominions thus acquired are either accustomed to live under a prince or to live in freedom. They are either acquired either by the arms of the prince himself or of others, or else by fortune or by ability. That's chapter one. I went ahead and read it all at once because it isn't very long, however, it's still integral in setting up the book. It's one of the easier chapters. All of these themes will be covered over and over in later chapters. Monkey really likes to reiterate things in different words. It shows the things that he believed in the most, and it's evident as we go on that the above things were what he believed to be the core concepts of principalities. Besides that, though, this chapter serves as an outline of the next few chapters, which is why I'm not going into detail now. Chapter 2. Concerning Hereditary Principalities Machiavelli reinstates that he will not be focusing on republics. The second paragraph runs as such. I say at once there are fewer difficulties in holding hereditary states, and those long accustomed to the family of their prince, than new ones. For it is sufficient only not to transgress the customs of his ancestors and to deal prudently with circumstances as they arise. For a prince of average powers to maintain himself in this state, unless he be deprived of it by some extraordinary and excessive force, and if he should be so deprived of it, Whenever anything sinister happens to the usurper, he will regain it. Okay, can I just take a moment and say that although I love this book, Machiavelli really, really doesn't like periods. In that entire section I just read to you, there was not a single period until the end. To the best of my ability to analyze grammar, which is pretty competent, it seems correct, although he does excessively use commas. Even so, it's a bit weird to pace and emphasize when reading the sections aloud when it's so long. Anyway, that's enough of a tangent. Let's get back to it. Machiavelli makes a claim that it's not difficult for a prince to hold it over a group of people used to living under a prince. He advises them not to transgress the customs of his ancestors and to deal prudently with circumstances as they arise, or not go too far against past princes that the people had been used to, and to carefully deal with whatever life throws your way. He argues that if you do these things, then a person with average powers can remain in power by way of just sailing along with the normality of it all and do the minimum. At that point, only a great force can remove the prince from power. He reinstates his point in my explanation by saying, For the hereditary prince has less cause and less necessity to offend, hence it happens that he will be more loved, and the less extraordinary vices cause him to be hated, 
it is reasonable to expect that his subjects will be naturally well disposed towards him, and in the antiquity and duration of his rule the memories and motives that make for change are lost, for one change always leaves them toothing for another. As long as the new prince isn't any worse than the last, he would generally be alright. Also consider that if something has been in place for a long time, people are less likely to try and change it on the grounds that it's always been that way. How often have you heard that about modern issues? We've always farmed the land like this, we've always used this material, this is the system we've always used to govern. It's easy to fall into the loop of normality and resist change, and that can be taken advantage of. He says, Motives that make for change are lost, and so long as the prince doesn't aggravate those grievances, he can rule calmly. Because once one change is incited, they will be, as Machiavelli says, two thing for another. Quick Renaissance fact. The people during the Renaissance did not see it as a golden age like we do. It had political and religious corruption and tension as new ideas took off and clashed with the old ones. Chapter 3. Concerning Mixed Principalities In this chapter, Machiavelli talks about the different kind of principalities that are new, beginning with the basic they saw. They came, they conquered. This section also takes into account the possibility that the common people usurped their own leader and helped put the conquering one on the throne. Something crucial is his recognition that the people may find they've gone from bad to worse and use the same fire driven by hope to usurp the one they put on the throne. Machiavelli writes, In this way you have enemies and all those whom you have injured in seizing that principality, and you are not able to keep those friends who put you there because of your not being able to satisfy them in the way they expected and you cannot take strong measures against them, feeling bound to them. Although one may be very strong in armed forces, yet in entering a province one has always needed the goodwill of the natives. It's a delicate balance, instituting the prince's personal goals and fulfilling the people's expectations. In his example of France's occupation of Milan, he writes, It is very true that, after acquiring rebellious provinces a second time, they are not so lightly lost afterwards, because the prince, with little reluctance, takes the opportunity of the rebellion to punish the delinquents. Here we see Machiavelli advising his readers on how to keep this principality. If someone chose to follow this example, he has a tendency to state the positives and negatives consistently, and also to state solutions. Understand that, at the same time, vanquishing kingdoms in this way was still common. In fact, we have seen this happen throughout modern history, even in the form of colonies. Colonies like Northern Ireland to Great Britain and Puerto Rico to the United States. Machiavelli moves on to talk about the difference between conquering a land that speaks the same language and those that do not. He argues that it's easier to hold those that speak the same language, particularly if they were used to having a ruler. He who is next to them, if he wishes to hold them, has only to bear in mind two considerations. The one, that the family of their former lord is extinguished. The other, that neither their laws nor their taxes are altered so that in a very short time they will become entirely one body with the old principality. The concept here is to create the most seamless transition possible, almost to create the illusion that there was no change in leadership at all. This seems like an impossible task, but if the prince makes his change in leadership be no worse than the past one, the common people wouldn't be likely to make strong movements to unseat him. It would take a huge movement to remove him, and if the previous family was eliminated, there wouldn't be going back to the old way. As morally questionable as that is, the effects of it make 
logical sense, if the prince was to do something, anything better than the previous system, he would be even more in the positive. In the case of places that don't speak the same language or have the same customs, Machiavelli recommends a prince live in that country, as it would be hard to keep. He writes, if one is on the spot, disorders are seen as they spring up and one can quickly remedy them. But if one is not at hand, they are heard of only when they are great and then one can no longer remedy them. Imagine you have a toddler. Now imagine how it might be perfectly fine to have a toddler in a room with sensitive objects while you are in the room also. You can anticipate problems before they come up just by watching the toddler. However, if you leave the room, you're missing all of the cues that something bad is going to happen. You don't know the toddler is pulling a vase down on itself until it's already broken. His statement is like that. He also says, He who would attack that state from the outside must have the utmost caution. As long as the prince resides there, it can only be wrestled from him with the greatest difficulty. Machiavelli doesn't present any other options for maintaining a state that has different customs. He doesn't discuss what to do if the prince takes over more than one place. He does go into colonies, though. He prefers it, actually. He says, A prince does not spend much on colonies, for with little or no expense he can send them out and keep them there and he offends a minority only of the citizens from whom he takes lands and houses to give them to the new inhabitants, and those whom he offends, remaining poor and scattered, are never able to injure him, whilst the rest being uninjured are easily kept quiet, and at the same time are anxious not to err for fear it should happen to them as it has to those who have been despoiled. Although having colonies could get expensive to start up and maintain, as the world globalized, it almost became a necessity for countries to establish colonies, whether it was to establish some kind of relation in that country or to get a hold on natural resources that are either a commodity or a necessity. It wasn't new for countries to trade with each other, but establishing colonies was a way for countries to widen what historians call spheres of influence. Establishing colonies would have been a bit of a progressive idea at the time because, in theory, it involved integrating more than conquering. However, as we see in Europe's colonization of the Americas and Africa, gaining control often comes into play, but that's a different podcast. Machiavelli finishes the section by saying, The prince who holds a country differing in the above respects ought to make himself the head and defender of less powerful neighbors and to weaken the more powerful amongst them taking care that no foreigner as powerful as himself shall, by any accident, get a footing there. For it will always happen that such a one will be introduced by those who are discontented, either through excessive ambition or through fear. Most of the rest of this chapter, Machiavelli describes an extended example of what he talked about in this chapter. I illustrated things as I went, so I'm not going to go into detail with that. However, there are a few ditties that I can philosophically appreciate. If nothing else, they are food for thought. Consider it your takeaway to ponder between now and the next episode. The first is thus. Let us enjoy the benefits of the time, but rather the benefits of their own valor and prudence, for time drives everything before it and is able to bring with it good as well as evil, and evil as well as good. The second is, the wish to acquire is in truth very natural and common, and men always do so when they can, and for this they will be praised, not blamed. But when they cannot do so, yet wish to do so by any means, then there is folly and blame. This has been episode 3 of Machiavelli's Princes. Watch for future episodes as we dig into Machiavelli's philosophy on princehood and how it affected Renaissance and modern philosophy on ruling. In the next episode, we will be discussing chapters 4 through 6. 
Adventure on!